0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Thanks, Pat, and welcome, everyone. We're headed to one of the last episodes of the second season of the original series, The Omega Glory. The Enterprise approaches Omega-4 and detects the USS Exeter, another Constitution-class starship. Kirk happens to recall the ship was in the area about six months ago. Nobody's responding to hails, so Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and an away team beam over to investigate. All they find over there are uniforms. Empty uniforms and and, and weird rock-salt-looking stuff in them. There's no survivors on board, and all the shuttlecraft are still in the shuttle bay. So they head up to the bridge, and we learn that uh, the ship was commanded by Captain Ronald Tracy. Commanded by Ron Tracy, one of the most experienced captains in the Starfleet. McCoy confirms that the crew, that they're all on board. In fact, the, the rock salt stuff, that's the remaining chemical compounds of the people after some some mysterious something killed them. without water. we're all just three or four pounds of chemicals. There's a log recording from the Exeter CMO that reveals there's a sickness that has killed everyone, and he hints that Captain Tracy's on the planet's surface, uh, and he got down there before before dying himself. They beam down to the planet and interrupt a scuffle. Looks like a group of people are getting ready to execute someone. okay, so let's 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 just let's just get this all out of the way right now. This episode was originally written as one of the potential pilots after The Cage was rejected. That was back in 1965. This episode aired in 68. Through a more modern lens, man, wow, there's just some outright racist stuff going on through the entire episode. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that this episode openly supports and promotes racism towards Asian people, assuming the political climate in the mid-late 60s. Vietnamese people specifically. This is absolutely deplorable, and it is not okay. But the end moral of this episode, it, it's pretty aspirational, and, and I think it's worthwhile. So as I continue through all of this, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to point out the absolutely humiliating and egregious insults and the disrespect toward towards Asian people and other people of color, really i'll focus i'm going to focus on the higher theme and the story, but I had to put this out there if I'm not going to continue to point it out all the time star trek and and all media for that matter is is a product it's just a product of its time. Its message though is is timeless, so the execution is interrupted by none other than Captain Tracy himself. He greets Kirk and and the crew and he orders the savages to be locked up. The prisoners are uh, they're called the Yangs, and per Tracy, they, they, they can't communicate, and they will attack absolutely anything that moves. The villagers are called the Calms. One of the villagers uh, recognizes the away team's phasers, and Spock, uh, Spock calls the red flag on that. They shouldn't know what a phaser is. Kirk dives in and tries to figure out just, just what has happened here. Tracy says the planet, uh, when they got there, it scanned as being perfectly safe, so they came down to make contact with the inhabitants. The landing party uh, immediately contracted a disease and it was spread to the ship, ended up killing the whole crew. Tracy happens to still be alive because he's stayed on the planet's surface and he believes there's something there that provides an immunity and is keeping them all alive. Now, hey, bad news. Enterprise's away team is also infected. They set up a small lab to start researching their tissues and the disease itself. Kirk is wrestling with the fact that, that Tracy has clearly violated the prime directive. It appears he supplied the comms with phasers to aid in their battles with the Yangs. You see, North secretly sold missiles to a harmless country called Iran that would always be a grateful ally. McCoy in his research isn't learning that much, And and he fears it could really take years to find what provides the immunity. He references an infection developed on Earth during the biological warfare experiments of the 1990s. He might have been off by a, by a few years. Spock and Galloway bust into the room. Galloway has been severely injured by an attack by the Yangs. He claims they just attacked. There's no warning, no provocation. And Spock confirms the calm's use of phasers. He reminds Kirk that his knowledge of Tracy's violation of the prime directive now compels him to act or to be considered an accessory to the violation. The regulations are quite harsh, but they are also quite clear, Captain. If you do not act... You will be considered equally guilty. Just like we saw from Spock in Where No Man Has Gone Before, he's being straight with Kirk. There's no fluff, no niceties, just the facts and the options facing Kirk. Kirk knows what Spock is telling him, right? This isn't the first time that he's ever heard that he could be considered an accessory to the violation of the Prime Directive. But Spock tells Kirk what he probably just doesn't want to hear. It's, look, it's very different to to know a thing, like academically know a thing than it is to hear someone say it. Spock is supporting a superior officer, his his leader here, and he's doing so by being painfully honest with him. This is something, frankly, we all need, right? It's something that, that we can also provide to the leaders that we work with and support as well. With eerily good timing, Tracy interrupts Kirk just as he's about to inform the Enterprise of the Prime Directive violation so Starfleet can be aware. To put a point on it, Tracy shoots and kills Galloway. Oh my god! They killed Kitty! He then reaches out to the Enterprise, Tracy does, to inform them that the away team is very sick. They're all unconscious. Sulu, who's in temporary command, he, he offers help. He says, we'll send down medical personnel. Sir, this is Lieutenant Sulu in temporary command of the Enterprise. Our whole medical staff will volunteer to beam down. But Tracy rejects it, says they're fine. Sulu acknowledges the report, and he lets Tracy know that things are going well up on the Enterprise. The comms take Spock and McCoy away, and this leaves Kirk and Tracy alone. Kirk begins to recite regulation, and Tracy finishes his sentence for him. You want answers? I think I'm entitled You to. want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! He says he gets it, right? Kirk was required to say those words. Now he's said them. So now they get down to business. Tracy shares his big master plan. You see, the inhabitants of this planet, they have no trace of any disease. In fact, they live hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. There are some of them that that have lived for, for centuries. And Tracy believes the immunizing agent can act as a fountain of youth. It can provide immortality. He tries to get Kirk to join him. He says there's huge profits to be made and that withholding technology like this will have committed a crime against all humanity. Kirk disagrees with him and he communicates it by attacking him. This gets him locked up right away too and he ends up locked up in his cell with the Yangs that were about to be executed earlier. This results in a very slow-paced Star Trek fight. Some really weird, really kind of uncomfortable camera shots. Like... They'll just randomly show Spock watching in the other cell, looking, well, kind of concerned. It's a really, really odd sequence. During the fight, though, there's some pretty fun back and forth between Kirk and Spock. Spock Spock even makes fun of Kirk, right? He says, Good, Captain. Try to reason with him. The female Yang ends up close to the bars, and Spock is able to reach across the cell and nerve-pinch her after, after a judo throw from Kirk. <laughs> this, gives, this gives everybody a moment a moment of rest. McCoy's sent back to his lab to get to work on the cure and find the immortality serum. Immortality serum? Hmm. You know, seems like this mission gets picked up a hundred some odd years later by an Admiral Doherty. Hmm. Anyway, McCoy is under really close supervision, but he's doctoring away, trying to learn anything that he can. Back in the jail, with the yangs down, Kirk and Spock postulate what has happened on Omega-4. Spock, while trying to pry the bars out of the window, thinks there's a massive war with devastating nuclear and bacteriological weapons used, and they're in the early days of the two civilizations coming back from that. While they're talking, Kirk says the word freedom. This gets the interest of the Yang, who immediately starts speaking quite intelligibly with them. He claims freedom is a worship word, and that Kirk is not worthy to speak it. Kirk tries to connect with them, saying freedom is also a worship word for him and his crew. Cautiously starts working to pry the bars out of the window like Spock was doing, and encourages the Yang to help him. They work together, and they're successful. And then the Yang clocks Kirk in the back of the head, knocking him out as the two of them, not Kirk, climb out and escape. Despite the bar to the back of the head, Kirk approached this really well. He knew the exact moment he'd cracked the code and found common ground with his enemy. He immediately capitalized on their shared value of the word freedom to attempt to create a bond. He furthered the bond by emphasizing their shared plight of being prisoners of the calms. What he's doing here is actively seeking common ground. Once you have that, you can begin to work your way towards trust. He takes three decisive and significant steps to build trust with the Yangs. First. He acknowledges the value of the word freedom. Then, he explains their common enemy in the calms, And finally, he physically starts working towards their shared freedom while inviting the yang to work alongside him. He starts with words and moves to action. Now, this didn't end particularly well for him, but that's because he was working with a distrust that runs so much deeper than just him. This Yang believes comms are only good for killing and has really no reason to not think that Kirk and Spock have that same sentiment towards him. But in our world, you know, we don't often find ourselves locked in a cell with someone we believe is part of a group that is actively killing all of us. Where we do find ourselves, though, is in a situation where we don't trust a peer, or we don't trust our manager. Kirk's approach here can work very well for us in these situations, Seek out common ground. Find opportunities that translate into action. Now, this doesn't provide a shortcut to trust, as evidenced by by Kirk's concussion, but it paves the road to it. You still have to work. You have to earn that trust. But hey, now, now you actually can. I suppose another lesson in this, as I think about the potential brain injury Kirk now has to deal with, is the impact of trauma, like the deep and often unexpected manifestations of trauma. I think it's important here that I let you know, full disclosure, I'm not a medical professional. I, 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 I'm not a behavioral health professional. I'm, I'm just a guy that has had a lot of management and leadership roles in my life. But what I do know is that trauma is real. In DS9 Emissary, we, we talked about how Cisco never left the moment of his wife's death. That trauma informed every action Every decision he made from that point forward, and, and, and he didn't even realize it until the prophets, or, or the wormhole aliens, they, they showed him. The Yang here has suffered tremendous trauma. I mean, he's been at war for, well, for as much as we know, his entire life, and, and maybe even longer than that. He's likely seen countless loved ones slaughtered by the Calms. Kirk starting to pave a road to trust doesn't just make all that go away. His brain has been literally wired to respond violently to the unknown. And there, there's no way Kirk could have known the depths of all of this. To be clear, like in this, this, this new thought I'm having, Kirk didn't do anything wrong here. And, and the Yang ultimately behaved as would be expected. What we can hope, though, is that what Kirk did is pave a road that will pay off later in the episode. Kirk wakes up after having been out for seven hours and eight minutes. Whoa, that is a long time. A a severe head injury will knock somebody out, maybe, for a few minutes. At 30 minutes, they're going to be in beyond critical condition. Seven hours? Wow. Well, Kirk, not wanting to waste any more time, climbs out the window, frees Spock, and they meet up with McCoy. He's in there seven hours, and the window is still wide open. Like, no one even checked up on them in that whole time. They have no idea that the Yangs have escaped. So, hey, Jeff Aiken rewrite number one. You make that seven hours into seven minutes, yeah, a lot more believable. McCoy confirms that there was a terrible biological war that occurred here. Over time, nature counterbalanced the overload of diseases. After just a few hours, the planet, through nature, cures the disease. McCoy's conclusion is there is no fountain of youth. I can do more for you if you just eat right and exercise regularly. And this is just the, it's just the biology of the inhabitants and the nature of Omega-4. I am Omega. Bottom line, they're cured. They can safely leave the planet at any time, as can Captain Tracy. And we can leave any time we want to. Once again, on cue, Tracy pops in, and this time he blasts the communication device. He is a wreck. The Yangs, informed by the escapee, have attacked. Apparently, the comms killed thousands, but they just kept coming. It was an absolute massacre on both sides. McCoy offers that they all just beam up and leave, but Tracy demands the immortality serum you know, the one that there never will be. In an exasperated effort, he takes Kirk outside and commands him at phaser point to get some weapons from the Enterprise. Kirk makes the request to Uhura and Sulu, and they refuse it. They refuse it based on established procedure and protocol. Kirk half-heartedly argues with them. Not even if we're in danger, Mr. Sulu? But they still refuse. You have a well-trained bridge crew, Captain. My compliments. And boom, Star Trek fight number two kicks off. This one also really just oddly paced feels uncomfortable really weird even you know even for the original series fight scenes well the fight ends when a group of yangs capture them it's really just a passing moment in this whole sequence but when kirk calls for the phasers we see the results of excellent management and leadership he's clearly trained and drilled his officers on the regulations and processes specifically around weapons and landing parties He is so confident in that training and drilling that he doesn't even hesitate to call up to them when Tracy demands it. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He has created a culture of accountability on the Enterprise. Can you think of situations where, like, the rules apply to everybody except the boss? Like, maybe on the Exeter, if one of Tracy's crew made that ask of his bridge crew, they would have followed protocol, you know, shut them down. But if it was Captain Tracy that asked, well, he's the boss, so so they make an exception. I mean, he is the captain after all, right? But on the Enterprise, it don't matter. Everyone is accountable, even Kirk. He not only teaches it and models it, but confidently expects it. This reminds me of a quick story. I used to work in a building with about 1,500 people in there. We were required to wear badges and had a reception security station that we'd have to show them to. One day we received an email from our CEO about building security. She explained that there was one person that worked that reception station that would ask her for her badge every time she walked into the building. She started trying to make it sound like she was insulted. I mean, her picture is hanging in the lobby, right? But instead, she praised this employee for holding her to the same security standards as everyone else. That always stuck with me because she not only expected that she is held as accountable as anyone else, but she went out of her way to very publicly praise the person that held her accountable. We find ourselves in the Yang headquarters. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Tracy are all bound up. Spock and Kirk talk about some of the cultural affectations they've seen with the Yangs, and they connect the oh-so-subtle-and-obscured undertones, quote-unquote, of this episode. Oh, Yang equals Yankee, and Calm equals Communist. Oh, I know you guys are probably all in the dark on this one, but that's it. There you go. And that theme hits warp speed as an American flag is brought into the room. It had been captured by the comms and the, the, the Yangs have just retrieved it. The man Kirk was locked up with introduces himself as Cloud William. My name is Alexander Hamilton. Speaker of the holy words. He puts his hand over his heart. And recites a garbled version of the Pledge of Allegiance to which Kirk. Kirk jumps right in and finishes it for him. A plague iron neck to and flaggin, to pep like for stand. Unto the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. <sighs> flashbacks to grade school for me on this one. The Yangs are immediately offended. Kirk is speaking their holy words. He lets it out that they're from space. Tracy jumps on this though. He weaves a story that Kirk and his crew are, are devils. He even points out Spock's ears and eyes. Do the Yang legends describe the servant of the evil one? Cloud William picks up a holy Bible. Huh. The Gideons were capable? No not the not the season three Gideons. It, it, Ever. N- never mind and opens it to the book of Haggai with a drawing that is the spitting image of one Mr. Spock. Weird choice. I mean, that book is about rebuilding the second temple of Jerusalem. I'm not sure what Vulcans had to do with that. Well, you can imagine the Yangs are feeling pretty convinced. Kirk argues the point, and this leads to, uh, to a battle between good and evil. For good shall always triumph over evil. An amazing Amazing quote from McCoy here. I've found that evil usually triumphs, unless good is very, very careful. Kirk and Tracy are bound together at the wrist, and we get Star Trek fight number three. Kirk gains the upper hand with a modified Fujiwara armbar, but refuses to kill Tracy. is! Hyper-extending the injured left arm of While the fight's going on, Spock uses his telepathic abilities to convince the female that was locked up with Cloud William to bring him a communicator. This ends up bringing down Sulu and a couple others. They arrest Tracy, and Kirk admonishes the Yangs for using the holy words without meaning, just reciting empty words. Kirk grabs the holy document Cloud William has been holding. He says they have collected many documents such as this, and they all essentially say the same thing, but apparently none have said it quite so well as this. He then gives a powerful, dramatic reading of the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. And then Kirk lays out the moral of the episode, the the message. These words aren't meant just for the chiefs, or the rich, or the powerful, but for all people. All people, including your enemies. These words, and the words that follow... Well, not written only for the Yangs, but for the Korms as well. The They must apply to everyone, or they mean nothing. Do you understand? A statement that we should all think about. Again, they must apply to everyone, or they mean nothing. Instead of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy on the bridge to end the episode, we get a close-up of the flag. So I absolutely love the message, the, the moral of the episode. While it uses the United States as the example and clearly espouses U.S. values as the natural evolution of all that is good, the underlying message is it's timeless and boundless. Freedom that doesn't apply to everyone is no freedom at all. This isn't in the episode, but I think it captures the spirit well. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, are created equal. Sure, sounds good. (laughs) Sounds amazing, in fact. In the 18th century, this was mind-blowing. But here we are, hundreds of years later, do we treat all men, I mean all people, as if they were created equal? Um, I'll let you answer that question for yourself. But until we do, until we actually treat every person as if we were all created equally, then they are just pretty, But empty words. If an organization says it has a value, right, we all have those values and vision and and, and mission posters in our offices. But if they don't model that, then they're just words. I always like seeing other starships and crew from them in the original series. Hey, fun piece of trivia here Captain Tracy is the only living person, other than Kirk, that we see with the captain's rank braids and all of TOS. Kind of cool. Other than that, look, let's be honest, this was a terrible episode. Awkward camera positioning, really weird pacing, total lack of subtlety, oh yeah, and the blatant over-the-top racism. I have to believe that even at the time, like, this was just bad television. I think, I don't know, I think I was eight, maybe ten years old, the first time I remember seeing this uh, in, in syndication. And even I, like, even I thought the whole yang and calm thing was 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 pretty heavy-handed. You can't make a great episode every time, though, right? I mean, Ty Cobb, the guy with the best batting average of all time, he still missed about two out of three times, and, and he's a legend. Hey, even The Undertaker lost at WrestleMania. The point being, we take the good with the bad, and this... Yeah, this this was this was this was very much the bad. Command codes verified. This is the second episode of the original series that we've looked at so far. In both episodes, Spock has really been a strong support to Kirk. He's reminded him appropriately of policy and procedure and talked him through some really difficult decisions. Despite Kirk's ridiculous response, at the end of the episode, Spock even questions Kirk's actions. Does our involvement here also constitute a violation of the Prime Directive? We merely show them the meaning of what they were fighting for. Liberty and freedom have to be more than just words. He's a solid First Officer that actively works to make his captain look good and remain compliant. I mean, really, I almost think of him like as Kirk's conscience here. Who knew? Spock and Jiminy Cricket. I really desperately want to have a list of like great lessons that we learned from Kirk, but but there just really isn't a lot. Earlier we talked about his ability to connect with and bond with people to build towards trust. I mean, that was fantastic. And and we saw the payoff of that at the end. What what I did really appreciate, and we talked through it a bit already, but the evidence of his strong training program. Put yourself in in, in the position of Sulu. All the senior officers have left the ship, and within minutes, they inform you that they've been infected with a deadly disease, and they're not coming back to the ship. But hey, hold tight, right? So yeah, you got some pretty immediate cause for concern, maybe even panic. But then Tracy calls up to the ship, and Sulu's as cool as the other side of the pillow. Tracy tells him the landing partner's unconscious. They're in terrible shape. And Sulu just offers assistance. Uhura is right next to him. She's calm. She's engaged. She's just ready to do her job. Later on, Kirk calls up and asks for weapons. Again, Sulu and Uhura, super smooth. They just quote procedure and follow what they know. Finally, Sulu receives a communicator signal, immediately beams down. And he does this not knowing that the disease can be cured just by staying on the planet. Right? So, I mean, he's putting himself and his crew in harm's way to take care of them, but he does it immediately so they can take care of business. Now, a lot of this, honestly, is just because Sulu's an absolute rock star, but it's also the product of training. For the crew, this is just another day in the life. Kirk and Spock have built a training program where they run drills, reinforce appropriate behavior, and give opportunities for people to step up. Had this culture of continuous learning and reinforcement not been cultivated, I'd bet that Sulu probably would have lost it by the time Tracy reached out to him. I think there's a couple pieces of this that you you can apply right away. Think about this. Do you create training opportunities for people beyond their current role? Do you have a succession plan so operations can continue even when people move on? Train people for the positions they want and are capable of, not just their current job, and actively seek opportunities to give them the responsibilities at that next level. Then, when you get promoted or, or the subject matter expert you rely on gets snagged by the competition, your bench is deep, and they've even played a few downs already. They can step right up, and they can continue operations. The key to building a succession plan is to clearly define the roles and the responsibilities of your positions, and then identify the strengths, desires, and preferences of the people on your team. Then you foster, train, and build based on matches between the people and the positions. It's good stuff, and clearly, this is what Kirk has done on the enterprise. I can't tell you how much I love hearing from all of you. What are your thoughts on this one? Do you, like Alan Austin in his essay, The Limits of Star Trek's Final Frontier, believe that Roddenberry was just being subversive on this one? Are there lessons in this episode I've missed? Look, I'm on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff, T as in tonsillitis, A-K-I-N. And if you've enjoyed or learned anything from the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I'd like to ask a favor. Would you Would you please share it with a friend or someone else that you think could benefit from it? All right. What are we going to watch next time? Working. There's coffee in that nebula. (laughs) We'll be watching the cloud from Voyager's first season. Some good stuff in that episode. If I remember correctly, I really enjoyed the lessons we learned from Janeway in the very first episode of this podcast. Let's see if she continues to impress until then ex astra scientia we the people of the united states in order to form a more perfect union establish justice ensure domestic tranquility provide for the common defense promote the general welfare And secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the Arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one on one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Podcast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the Best Business Network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electric Cat's Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.